You know, uh, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And those thieves were trying to steal because that's what thieves do, right? And one of those thieves was the thief of the your past, and the other thief is the thief of your future. And it wants to rob you from today. Are you hearing me? Now, one of the thieves never could see what was right in front of him that was available to him today, and that was the Messiah was there. All he could do was live in his past, in his rioting and his murder and what was going on in his life. He was paying the price for it. The other thief could only think about in the future. He couldn't even think about him today. He said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus had to bring him back to this day. Everybody say this day. See, the enemy is always trying to rob us of this day. We're either so consumed by our past that we don't enjoy this day, or we're so anxious and have worry and dread and anxiety and fear of what the future is going to hold that we can't enjoy this day. But Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. We need to stop allowing those two thieves to take from us this day. For this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This day. This day. Today, I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, the fourth chapter. Just going to read one verse. Verse 33, Acts 4.33, it says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great, what? Grace was upon how many? Upon them all. Anytime that there is great grace, I want you to know there is great power present right there. If there's great grace, there's great power. You don't have to feel it to make it so. It's already there. Amen? Great grace. That means abundant, super, beyond. And Romans chapter 5 and 20 makes this statement. It says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. The Greek word there is super abounded or hyper. You ever heard of the term hyper grace? Sometimes people say, don't go to that church. It's a hyper-grace church. That's the church you need to go to because you can't have too much grace. That's, that's, a, that's like, don't go to there. That's hyper-love, <laughs> hyper-joy. The Bible says here where sin abounded, the word it uses in the Greek is something as a word that, that means that it could be counted. You could actually have counted it and come up with a total. But then the word that, that the Bible says superabounded cannot be counted. It's unable to be counted. God says though you can count your sin, and sin can be counted, but his grace cannot be measured. Where sin abounds, now God's not encouraging you in sin, but he says where sin abounds, his grace, great grace, more grace, superabundant grace, hyper grace abounds in that moment. Let me make this statement to you, and I'm going to let you be seated. God has great grace for your disgrace. God has great grace for our disgrace. No matter what we've done, how bad we've blown it, 
God don't want you to blow it, but he has grace sufficient. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Can you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden against God, we, we, we know what we lost in that, don't we? Most of the time, that's what we major on. We major on what we lost. But I think a lot of times we don't really realize what we gain in Christ. We gain much more in Christ than we ever lost in Adam. Can you say amen? Now, the redeeming work of Jesus Christ is much greater than the condemning work of Adam and his rebellion and sin. Can y'all say amen to that? I hear these preachers preaching that we're going back to the garden or they're back to Eden and back to the garden. We're not going back to the garden. We're never going back to the garden again. Not in the sense that we're not being returned to the righteousness of Adam before he sinned. But, but we now are being uh, much more gifted the righteousness of Jesus Christ who never knew sin. That's the righteousness that God puts upon us when we are born again. Can you say amen? And, and the power of what Adam did in, in his sin, the, the power that, uh, uh, that, that, that empowered the enemy when Adam sinned, that power can be and is broken through Jesus Christ. But I want to say something to you. But what Jesus did, his righteousness on our behalf, that cannot be broken. That cannot be undone. That cannot be unraveled. Because it's not something that you achieve, it's something you receive. It's a gift. When, when, what, what Jesus did was much more powerful than what Adam did. In other words, what the last Adam, Christ, did is much more powerful than what the first Adam did to humanity. Can you say amen to that? Because Adam came from this earth, but Jesus came from heaven. You see the difference? The Bible says the first Adam was a living soul. But it says the last Adam was a life-giving spirit. See the difference? The first Adam was natural, but the last Adam was spiritual. The first Adam was tested in a paradise, in a perfect garden, where he had all the food that he could have eaten. He lacked nothing. And yet in that, in that pristine environment, when he was tested and the enemy came, he fell. But the last Adam, Jesus, was not tested in a beautiful, well-fed garden, but in a wilderness. After 40 days of no food, here comes the enemy to test him and to tempt him. And yet that last Adam did not fail us, even in a wilderness experience. Can you say amen? I want to... to uh, Talk about a verse, I, I hadn't given you this, this one, uh, but Second Samuel, a, a very obscure verse, verse 23. I'll, I'll make a strange statement, verse 20 is just, I want to, Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 20. And the latter part, the B portion of this verse, and it's talking about a man named Benaniah. And, and, it, and the only thing that it notes about this man is it says that, the latter part is he went down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. He killed a lion in the midst of a pit. Now, now the Second Samuel 23 is, recount, is recalling the mighty men of David. 
And it's talking about their exploits and, and the things that they've done. And these were known as David's, King David's, mighty men. Mighty men of God, empowered by God to, to do great feats. The Bible doesn't tell us why this man, Benaniah, went into a pit, pursued this lion. It's on a snowy day, it says. It lets us know the, 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 the environmental, if you will, conditions were not conducive to punt lions. Now, the, st the statements is probably be strange to, to, to all of you or most of you because hardly nobody knows this, but if it probably hadn't been for this verse, I probably wouldn't be standing here pastoring to here today. And that's been over, well, over 10, 12 years ago now. Because when, when, when this came to me, I was pastoring the church that I founded this last week, this past uh, March the 10th, this past Wednesday, I believe, was or Tuesday. March the 10th, that was 30 years ago on that date that I founded Cornerstone Christian Church in Sparks that still stands and goes today. And uh, I couldn't believe it when uh, I had somebody text me and just remind me of that, which I did remember it, but they said, thank you, Pastor, for, for starting this church. Thousands of lives have been changed because of your obedience to God to plant this church. Out of that church came Cornerstone Christian Academy that we changed the name when I gave it to the community, to Community Christian Academy, which is the only Christian school in Cook County, and it still goes and exists today. I ran the school for six years, and when we felt that our time was up with that, I gave them everything in the building, and let them form their own board, and that's what, a, that's what apostolic ministry does. It starts things. It gets it going and releases it. I remember when, when this church was going through many years ago now, difficult times. It had had lost two pastors and gone through very difficult times, and, and I was trying to be, give apostolic oversight to this church at the request of the, of the second pastor and was working with these same elders that, are, that, that I inherited, and I love each of them, and trying to see, you know, uh, actually I, my involvement, my intention was to be involved to help them get a pastor here, to, to, uh, to help find them a pastor. In fact, I had a good man I wanted to send here, and I never dreamed that I'd be here. I was happy where I was. I was pastoring over 300 people. I was doing good. Wasn't worried about anything. It would always be better. If you're a real pastor, you're never satisfied. If you're running 30,000, you'd want 50,000. And I remember, you know, when I began to try to help, I would, I would preach here one Sunday, and then the following Sunday I would be back at my church in Sparks. And I alternated Sundays. And I alternated days of the week to be in the office here and some there and just trying to pastor two churches for a while until we got a pastor in here. And uh, we had a lot of meetings, didn't we, Ivory? We had a lot of, a lot of elders' meetings, and these guys were hurting, and, and uh, this church was hurting, and, and a lot of people had left. A lot of people were gone. And, um, and I won't go through all the details of it, but just suffice it to say that eventually over many months, the Lord revealed to me that I was to come here 
He actually did it through the elders. And it seemed like they all knew it before I did. But, uh, and so I, I, I finally agreed to come, but I was still wrestling. Because to me, this looked like a scary line. See, it's not in our nature to chase lines. If, a hum, if you're out walking somewhere in a, in a place where there would be lines and you see one and that image hits your cerebral cortex or your brain, your brain is going to tell you to run because that lion can run at 40 miles an hour. He can leap 30 feet with one single bound. The average lion weighs well over 500 pounds. A man has absolutely no chance against something that powerful. None. And yet this man, Benaniah, pursued this lion. And not only did he pursue the lion, the lion went into a pit. And he went down into the pit after the lion and would snow all on the ground. I remember when I was wrestling and I would walk where I used to live. There was a, I lived out in the country. There was a long lane by my house. I'd walk that road and pray. And I was really having a lot of doubts about coming here to be the pastor. And, uh, and I remember one of my elders from the other church texted me that day and said, I, I was listening to a message. This was on a Monday. He said, I listened to Jensen Franklin preach yesterday on TV. That He said, they'll re-air that same program again Monday evening, and I want you to watch that message, if you will. I really feel like God's got something in that for you. So I recorded it, and later that week I listened to it. It just blew me away. And what Jensen Franklin was preaching about was this little story about this man named Benaniah that went after his line. And that may not sound that to you. God can use the most obscure passages to speak to us. And in that moment, I just knew that this was my line. Scary as it might be, I knew my destiny was tied up in this and I needed to leave the comfort of where I was and to move and come here. I would leave 300 people there, come here and preach to 70. My brain wasn't liking that. I was challenged. And I remember when Jensen Franklin was preaching. I had Jensen Franklin preach for me when I was in Sparks. He flew in and preached for me and sat with him. I had, we had a lot of great men that came. And not because they, you know, I'm not into the superstar deal. If it wasn't for my oldest son that was in ministry with me, Justin, that played the drums this morning. He's our executive pastor. If it wasn't for him in those days, I probably would never had any of those guys. I had, I had Jesse Duplantis in my church. Jesse flew his big Learjet and got there 45 minutes before the service. So I had the unpleasant, I thought it was going to be, privilege of Jesse Duplantis sitting in my office with just he and I for 30 minutes. They called me at home and said, you got to get here. Jesse's on his way. He had a tailwind, and he's going to be here early. I said, Jesse Duplantis don't want to sit with me for 30 minutes and talk with me. My office up there in Sparks was so small. It really, literally, it was, it was so small, you know. And I said, you know, I see his office on his TV program. You know what I'm saying? 
you know, he don't want to sit in my office, but I was pleasantly surprised how pre- how, what, a, what a pleasant man he was. And he never acted like he was a superstar or demeaned, you know, or whatever. In fact, he's only one of those guys at that level that never asked for a guaranteed offering. All the rest of them had minimums. And I, I'm not saying that's wrong. But Jesse said, I'll just come. Just let me take up my own offering. <laughs> so Jesse came. House was packed, overflow, the whole deal. Had Ron Carpenter. Had so many great men of God that stood in that pulpit. And uh, when Jensen came, just tremendous preacher, great man. He asked us to come up to Atlanta to his church and a few Wednesday nights after he was with me and just to be in service with him, and we did that. He was kind to us and recognized us having preached for me a few weeks prior. But I remember as I listened to that message, God put in my heart that I'd rather go down in that pit, so to speak, and go after this line. I'd rather die trying to get this line than always live the rest of my life wondering what would have been if I'd done it. And the thing about it, I remember when Jensen was preaching that message, he said, you know, nobody would have blamed that man if he'd have turned and went home once that line went into that pit. When that line fell in the pit, nobody would have said boo if he'd have just turned and went home. So the decision was up to him. And, and I want to tell you something. A lot of times in our lives we don't understand. And, and your lion could be anything. Whatever you think that can kill you. It could, go, it could, go, it could be at that level. Or it could be something much more, you know, tame than that, so to speak. But, but we're all going to have opportunities to take risk in our lives for God. All these years, people ask me how to, you know, like, you know, explain faith. I said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. That's how you spell faith. No risk, no faith. Because if you can see everything and you know everything, how everything's going to pan out, then it doesn't take any faith for that. It just takes eyeballs and human knowledge. And, and I don't know, you know, how long you've been tracking God or how much of his book you've read, but just God just don't do it that way. And, 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 and God strategically places us at the right place at the right time. But now here, here's the catch. The right place often looks like and it often feels like it's the wrong place. And, and, and God puts us at, in, in, at the right time, but, but the right time often looks to us like this is the wrong time. I remember when I first started coming down here every, sun, every other Sunday ministering, I thought, you know, well, my God, a place to just go ahead and get, you know, get filled up. And then we'll go, you know, and then, it'll, you know, I'll cut that loose. It never did do that. In fact, it was going the other way. And it got where we had folks, not because of what we thought. I mean, the Sunday that I wasn't here, we had, a, we had pastors preaching. Same thing in Spars. But so for some reason, sometimes people get in their mind certain things and they get certain thoughts and habits and, 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 you know, sometimes it's even maybe preacher religion. You know what that means when I say that, right? And, uh, and so we had people going to church twice a month then. That's more than some folks go now. But the Sunday that I wouldn't be at either place, a lot of times, this, this, this time, you know, there would be less people. Again, not because I, it, it, I didn't do with that. 
And we finally reached a place where I knew that I had to do one or the other. I had, to, I had to cut this loose and stay where I was, or I had to obey God and come here and cut that loose. I remember Andy, one of our elders, in one of our meetings, uh, we met at my little prayer cabin. Y'all may remember elders. And Andy followed me out that night, and he said, he said, I believe the Lord has spoken to me about who our pastor is going to be. And I said, well, great. It's about time. I remember the first man I introduced to him. I could tell you his name. They might probably remember. And I just, and in fact, that man called me and wanted this church. And I had a lot of pastors connected with me and in our network. And I said, well, I'll get you in, brother, just, you know, because he was a great man. Still is. He's a great pastor today. And uh, I introduced his name to the elders, and they were like, they all started shaking their head. No, I said, y'all shaking your head? No, y'all never even met the man. And I remember Andy told me that night, he said, I, find, I know who our pastor's going to be. And I said, well, who is it? He said, it's going to either be you or a man exactly like you. <laughs> That's what he told me, standing out there in that prayer cabin that night. And I remember the anxiety that I felt and the fear that I felt and the trepidation of not knowing what the future held. It was no different than when I was a street paramedic in Tifton. And, and, and we worked a lot of hours in those days, and we pulled a lot of 48-hour straights and 72-hour straight shifts, and just it was, it was, you, you was there a, long, a lot of time. And on one hand, we didn't mind the long hours because we were getting paid for every hour we was there. That's how we made extra money. But any time an ambulance had to go to Augusta or Gainesville or Atlanta, then off-duty guys had to come in and cover that. And I got tired of that, and I had a little boy at home, and I wanted to be home, and with my kids, and, and I wanted an eight-to-five job, I thought, and I was tired of all that stuff, uh, uh, you know, and I was a young guy. I was 27 years old, and I remember that I applied for jobs in other places. I thought, I'll just work for Georgia Power or something. I'll do, you know, and I literally did, did that. I applied with them, took the test, and qualified for certain positions, and it, but I went a couple of years, and those positions never came available. I was never hired. I got so frustrated with God, and I remember our chief at our emergency medical service quit his job, and, and he quit and resigned in May of 1984, and from May the rest of that year, we didn't have a chief, shift supervisor, shift captains, we called them, just su supervised each of their shifts, and Kind of work with the county that way. And they had a, they, they run the job and they advertised for a lot of people, but the county commissioners never hired anybody. And I remember in November of that year telling God, I, I was called it prayer, but it was like fussing to God. And I said, I don't understand why you don't get me a job like I've been praying for, where I can be home at night, be at church every Sunday and all that. And, and you can think this is weird or whatever, but I heard the Lord speak to me. People always, what they sound, you know. I just knew it was God, and he froze me in my tracks, and he said, there's a job right here I have for you. You've never even applied. See, I, it never hit my little pea brain that a 26-year-old guy with no supervisory experience could be the chief of the emergency medical service. And then God said to apply. And then, then I'm looking down the face of a lion that can eat me. And I remember I arranged a meeting with the county commission chairman 
who at that time was like the county manager and interviewed with him and he didn't really give me any promise that day and then he called me back at the first of December and interviewed me a second time and in that meeting he said you have the job and he said you start January the 1st as the chief of this CMS I remember lying in bed at night where Jill and I lived and, and having anxiety attacks I don't think they were even had it labeled back then but that's what it was and I remember having chest pain one night and breaking out in sweat, nauseated, and going through all that. And it's, it's no piece of cake if you've ever rode that ride. And I remember my wife looked at me because she's so sweet in moments like that. And she said, that job's going to kill you before you ever even get it. <laughs> See how sweet she is? <laughs> she's just going to kill you before you get it. And it was. It was about to kill me, and I hadn't even started my first day. Because I was looking down the face of a scary line. And I said, this could eat my lunch. It's, I could fail at this. I could, you know, because, and they told me, said, well, you, you know, you don't have any supervisory experience. Well, no, I don't. You're going to be supervising men much older than you are. Yeah, I, I understand that. Well, how do you think you're going to be? I just knew God had said this is it. And I went in that job. And another thing that was scary is we had never had an EMS chief since the Merchant Medical Service started in Tifton that lasted on his job more than 24 months. They all quit less than two years in, all of them. I'd only been there six years and had had three bosses. So I'm going into a place where there's not a lot of stability in the previous history all the way till it started. And I went in there, and, 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 and I was there. For 12 years as the chief, I still hold the record of longevity in Tiff County for the EMS chief. And I love my job, and God gave me favor, and God blessed us. And left there with 30, had 34 employees. But if you don't ever take those risks, you will never know what God's got planned for you. You're going to always have opportunities. I remember when I started the church in Spark, I was in a denomination. I'd gone through all their training. I was ordained with them. And, and they were steady trying to give me churches that I wasn't even asking for. And in fact, not only were they trying to give them to me, they were getting mad because I wasn't accepting them. You go, we want you to go to this city or go to that city or whatever. But I, I just knew in my heart that that was not what God had planned for me. And I remember being so confused at one time, and I said, God, I said, this is how I feel, God. I feel like somebody's taking the old-fashioned chalkboard with the chalk, remember that, the green boards? And they've got trigonometry, calculus, they've got geometry, they've got all those math problems that used to hurt my head. They've got the board filled with them, and I just can't figure out any of it. It's too complicated for me. And, and so, God, that's my life. Everybody seems like it's writing out what I'm supposed to do and where I'm supposed to preach and how I'm supposed to do it. And, and, and they got the board filled with their vision for my life. But, God, how about this? I'm going to erase this board, and here's the chalk. How about you telling me what you want me to do? That's the honest God truth. That's how I saw it. And I felt like in the spirit I just erased that board, handed God the chalk, and I just sat there in that prayer place of being quiet. And when I did, God spoke. Because I did not have a paradigm for leaving the denomination I was in or doing anything different. I, I, had, I had my lane planned out. But God had a whole different plan for me. And God put in my heart and showed me in Scripture, and it wouldn't make sense to you, but he was clear to me. God said, I want you to plant a church right here in, this, in your home county. I had lived my life so I could load up a rider truck and move from here and obey God and preach. I didn't care what state it was in. And God said, I want you to do it right here. I want you to do it right here. And, and, 
again, God strategically places you where he wants you. And I remember the anxiety that, that I felt in, in contemplating starting a church. I, I never read a book on starting a church or how to plan a church or anything like that. And, and, and I remember that first Sunday. And, and honest to God, we, we had no guarantee that anybody would even come to the church. I hadn't gotten on the phone. I hadn't called anybody. I didn't do any publications, any advertisement. I didn't write anybody. I didn't ask anybody. I didn't even ask my own mama or my daddy. I didn't even ask any of my kin people to come. I, just, I was just dumb enough to trust God. I felt if God was big enough to tell me he wanted the church to start, he'd, just, he'd tug on some people's heart to come. And when I resigned from the church that I had been in since I was 12 years old, that I grew up in, when I resigned and, and left the denomination, let me tell you, they did all my advertising for me for free. They told everybody what I did. It didn't cost me nothing. And, and, and I remember we, we were going to church, and I had rented a little building in Sparks. It used to be a Christian school and, and had closed down many years ago. And I rented that building, and I started our first Sunday. It was March the 10th of 1991. And, and I, I was walking out the door, and I said, we, got, we don't even have an offering basket. And I remember I took a flower, one of Jill's flowers, and I dumped the flowers out of it. And I used that straw thing as the offering basket. I always felt bad about that. Poor flower. And we went there. And, and I, I was amazed in that little room. It was, what, 30-something, 30 38 people showed up. And uh, I looked out there and. It was kind of like uh, a motley crew. I, everybody was disgruntled on where they was going was sitting in my church. <laughs> I said, I know that I recognize those, but those people are assembly God people. These are church of God folk. These are heathens. These are Baptists. These are <laughs> we just had a mix of people. And, of course, over the long haul, some of those people didn't even stay. But God blessed that church to grow fast and rapidly, and, 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 and God's favor was on it. And it is for all those years. But I remember the anxiety of facing down that lion and, and, and the fear that I felt doing this or not doing this. I, I, I don't know who this is for today, but I, I've known all week that I was at least supposed to talk to you about that. That, that, that it, it says about ben I that he, he went in this pit. He, it, it doesn't give us the blow by blow the details of how he killed the lion but, but he comes out of that pit and victorious. The lion didn't eat him. The lion, what you thought was going to kill you didn't kill you. you, you and it, it was stronger than you, but God supplied the great grace. And, and then it says down in verse 23, the latter, last sentence, and it says, And David appointed him over his guard. And David appointed Benaniah. Now, I can just see King David going through people's resumes. And he's looking for somebody to be captain over his bodyguard team. He's like the presidential guard. And so he's looking through everybody. You know, and this guy's trained at the, the Jerusalem, you know, school of security. or and, and, You know, and he go, this guy here's, you know, read books. I mean, but he gets to Benaniah's resume and it says, I killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. David says, this is the guy that I want right here. This is the guy that I want being my bodyguard. 
Anybody that'll go after a lion on a snowy day in a pit, I don't need to read any more. Bring that guy in. He's hired. See, he never knew. He wasn't going, Ben and I wasn't going into that pit that day thinking that I'm going to use this on my resume. He was going in that pit probably thinking, I hope I live through this. I hope I'm victorious today. I hope I make it through this. But, but, but see, he, there was something wired different in him. He, he knew that that was part of his destiny. He didn't realize that was going to be on his resume. He didn't realize what that was going to add to him. And he didn't realize that really just going in that pit after that line was going to put him in a position to be the head of David's captain of his bodyguards. See, see what, what, what God does is God uses our past experiences and the things that we've gone through to prepare us for future opportunities that you don't even know is coming. God's using what you've gone through. God's using the, the, the circumstances. And sometimes just like they sung today, what the enemy meant for harm, again, God takes that and turns it around and uses it for good. Goliath come at David with a sword. David took that same sword from Goliath and cut Goliath's head off with it. See, God's, God's that kind of God. God. God's able to use things that you never thought that he would use, and he's able to use people you never thought he would use. But you've got to understand that those God-given moments that come to us are often disguised as, as man-eating lions. You've you got to learn to chase the roar instead of run from it. Listen, how, how you and I react when we encounter lions is going to determine our destiny. I, I, I don't know what your line is. I don't, I don't know, and that's just a real simple thing that's in the word of God but it's in there God's very precise of what's in this book he said if all the things that Jesus did were written in books the world itself could not contain the books thereof that's what the Bible says so that means that the things are in the Bible are very needful for us they're precise they're what we need and God wanted us to see this man named Benoniah his name Benoniah means Jehovah has remembered Yahweh has remembered and, 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 and he, it positioned him for that position that God had for him. And he did not even realize it. I, I just feel, I feel like today that some of us are facing some things and it may be scary. I mean, I, I, I don't know what it is. Sometimes it, it, it's, not, it's not about maybe jobs or permission, uh, positions or promotions or or, or, or callings on your life and, and like you know some of the examples I give sometimes those scary lines are other things that we face there's battles that we're facing those things they if you're not careful you'll look at that thing and you'll say that thing's going to eat me alive that that's more powerful than I am that's stronger than I am that's that, that that's that's that, there's no way that I can win that and you can turn and you can walk away and you can miss something that God has ordained for you there's times that you don't even realize and God's strategically putting you. You remember in the Bible the story of, of, of uh, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. You remember her? And, and, and Naomi, uh, with her husband, they, they, they moved from uh, Bethlehem. Anybody remember what Bethlehem means? It means house, Beth house, Lehem, bread is the house of bread. But a famine struck, the Bible says. And so they, they load up and they, they, they leave their destiny. They leave their place because they're just trying to survive. 
and they go into survival mode and they go to Moab. They go to a foreign land with a heathen land and they, and they stay there for over 10 years and they, and they have two sons there. And then Naomi's husband dies. And then tragically, both her sons who had taken wives die. And now you got two women left alone to try to fend for themselves. And it said that they heard that there was bread again in Bethlehem. See, we need people to again hear that there's bread available for them in the house of God. That there's bread. Jesus is the bread. We just, we just get the privilege of serving it. He's the bread that come down from heaven. Are you with me? But there's bread in the house of the Lord. There's a lot of people that's gotten this and that and they've left. But listen, there's bread in Bethlehem. And so, so these two women return. And you remember how that, that, that Ruth and Orpah, really, some people call her Oprah, but it's Orpah. She, she, they both made vows to Naomi that we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to go with you. Wherever you go, we'll go. Wherever you lodge, we'll lodge. You know, we're not leaving you. You're our mother-in-law. We love you. You're our family. We're not going to leave you. How I many knows that, that, that it wasn't long before one of them turned back? See, sometimes people that say they're going to stay with you don't stay with you. But you can't get hung, hung up on what won't stay with you because God's got somebody with you. God's got you connected with somebody for your purpose and destiny. And so Ruth is the one that made that famous statement to her, and she held it. And it's quoted a lot at weddings, as odd as that may sound, between the men, wherever you lodge, you lodge, wherever you go, I'll go, and all that stuff. But she stayed with Naomi. And then I love what the Bible says. It says that they had to eat. So they get there, and they, there is bread. And under the old covenant, the, 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 the farmers, so to speak, were instructed by the law by God to leave the corners of the field and don't reap in there and leave that for the poor. He was all, they were also commanded as they went through and harvested it that not to go back and run over the ground a second time of anything that may fell out or, or was left in the field or, or matured later. Don't come back, God said, and harvest that field twice. Leave what's there for the poor so that they'll have something to eat. How many knows I'm in the Bible? And so, so they would call it gleaning the fields. And so Naomi uh, said, Ruth, you, you, you know, I'm old and you're young. You, 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 you know, whereas you got to go to, you got to go find us something to eat. And it said that, so, so Ruth goes out and she, she just happens, it says, I love it, it says that in the Bible. She just happened to be, to, 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 to be gleaning in Boaz's field. See, there ain't no happenstance when you're a child of God. God is strategically putting you at the right place at the right time. It may not look like it. It may not feel like it. But God, God, is, God is great at resume building. God is great at getting you to meet the right people at the right time at the right place. And so she's gleaning in, 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 in Boaz's field. Boaz is a wealthy man. And, and, and so he rides through on his horse and he sees this woman. And he recognized her as a Moabite woman, not even of the house of Israel. The Bible says that under the law, no Moabite shall enter into the sanctuary of the Lord. It was only for the Hebrews. And yet her sons had married, because they were living in Moab, they had married these foreign women 
which as far as the Hebrews were concerned in Israel, they were under a curse. They weren't even accepted by God. And there she is just gathering up fragments of corn and, 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 and stuff that was left in the field. And, and Boaz speaks to her and recognizes her. And he asks, he said, who is that, that maiden? He asked some of the servants, who is she? And they said, that's uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law. And he said, I want you to drop some handfuls for her on purpose. See, God, God's got handfuls. See, she was just satisfied with what she could get. But God, God used Boaz to say, give her handfuls. And he said, you tell none of the men, none of ever better touch her. He gave her protection. And he said, then leave some extra in the field for her. And so when she come home, she just had groceries abounding. She just, Naomi couldn't believe it. She's like, where'd you get all this food? She said, I happened to be gleaning in a man's field named Boaz. Boaz was, means redeemer. She said, she said that, is, that is none other than some of our kin. And then Naomi was used of God to speak to Ruth. And Ruth made herself known to him of who she was. And the long of the story and the short of it is that Boaz married Ruth. And now she owns the field that she once gleaned in. <laughs> Come on, somebody. God took her from a gleaner to an owner. Because she just happened, just happened. Nothing just happens. God's orchestrating things in your life. God is always at work. I know you, you don't see him. Sometimes you don't feel him and you may not hear him. But God's always at work. And God's positioning you. I've told you thing after thing where I have seen God. And I go like you sometimes probably. I'll go like God, come on now. But I've been at it long enough. I don't really question God or where he's at and this and that like I did when I was a young guy. I remember here a few years ago, I've told you this. I'll end with this. But I, I remember, you know, I'd had my open heart surgery. Uh, we, you know, it was, that was just a life-changing deal. You can't, Ivory's going through it. You can't, you can't hardly uh, uh, go through something like that because you feel like you walk right up to the door. You know what I'm talking about, death's door. And, uh, and I literally did. We, I like to die on the table. I, I didn't know I was about to die. They had to take me back and open me up again to save my life from the first surgery because they had accidentally nicked an artery and collapsed my left lung, and I was actually lying, and they I see you dying. And they called my little precious wife and said, you got to get back up here. Something's wrong. we got to take him back and open him up and see what's, what's going wrong. And so I remember the next day or so I met a doctor and he introduced himself and, and he's the one I hadn't met before and he said, I'm the doctor that saved your life last night. I said, thank you. Nice to meet you. Appreciate it. They was kind though. They told me they weren't going to charge me for the second surgery. And I, I really appreciated that. That was nice. <laughs> I appreciated that. But I remember financially a lot of things were hard on us going through a tough time and and uh and i was had just started working with my oldest son in the medicare industry that was a new endeavor for him and, and for me and like some things happen sometimes boom here goes our whole air conditioner system dies it's not supposed to die i thought i'm a christian i thought air conditioner is supposed to last forever right and now what they told you in church <laughs> no some did, but it's a bad deal. Stuff just wears out. Don't mean God don't love you. 
And it's, it don't necessarily mean the devil went after your air conditioner. What does he want with it? You know, I mean, he, he don't need your air conditioner system. So you got to you start. You, you got to stop giving glory to him that he, he's he's not due. Okay. Don't blame everything on the devil. Sometimes it's just life. But I remember when the guy came out, you know, and the company came out and they said, we've got to replace everything, and it's $7,000. Wow. I didn't have $7,000 just to write them. But someone, I had a little, I had a little bit of stock, uh, and it wasn't in a, in a great situation. Uh, it was in some of that Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac stuff, if you remember what that, what that does. And the real estate market crashed, so you can imagine how worthless that stock was pretty much. But I remember my son-in-law is, is, a, is an investment guy, and that's who I had that with. And I called him. I said, John, I said, I need you to sell that stock. I said, I need to, I, I had an equity system go out. I need to, I need to handle this. And he said, all right, uh, I, I'll, I'll take care of it. I said, I got to have $7,000. I know that's pretty well going to wipe out what I got. But just sell it, be done with it, unless I got to get this AC stuff paid, get all this off of me. He said, all right, I'll get it done. Several hours went by. I was out working. I remember he called me. It took like four hours before he called me back. I'm like, how long does it take to sell a stock? I mean, come on. Uh, and he called me back. He said, the reason I waited so long, he said, I checked it three times myself. And he said, because you're my, my, my pawn-in-law, I don't want to screw up on this and tell you something wrong. And then he said, I called New York City, which is their headquarters of that stock company to verify it, had them to verify it. He said that stock went up $7,000 today. I'm telling you the God's truth. He said it went up $7,000 today. I said, well, sell it quick. He sold the stock to get me $7,000, and it kept my stock just even. Am I telling the truth? We didn't lose a penny. The next day the stock went back down to the bottom where it was at. When, when, when he called told me that, I was riding these roads doing my thing. And John called and told me that, and I hung up the phone. And I just started crying. And I remember looking out of the window of my truck. I said, you still up there, ain't you, Papa? You still with me? You still know what's going on in my life? I said, God, thank you. I'd have still loved you if you didn't done this, but this year, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. I love those moments like that where you just know God reached in there and did something supernatural. You know what? And I didn't even ask him for it. I, I didn't even pray for it. I figured I had to fix it myself. I figured I was on my own. That's the tragedy of, of this thing is when you feel like that you got to just, you're on your own. Can I tell you, as a child of God, you're never on your own. I'm not telling you God's going to do something, he'll, but he'll do whatever, he'll, he'll, he'll do what you need. People say, well, well, I want to see an angel. Well, you'll get an angelic visit when you need one. But I want to tell you, when you get one, you might be in a furnace, fiery furnace. That's when they got them in the, come on, fourth man fire, you know, it's the Lord. Or you may be getting pregnant, Mary. <laughs> she. Angel visits don't just come to say howdy. There's, there's a mission on the table, okay? And there's no record that Mary ever had another visitation from an angel. 
And that little woman, that little Jewish woman lived her whole life under the stigma of being a promiscuous woman who got pregnant before she was married. That's why they mocked her firstborn, Jesus, as being the only <laughs> begotten of the Father. They told him in John 8, you don't even know who your father is. Jesus said, they said, well, our father is Abraham. Jesus said, no, your father is the devil. And the lust of your father shall you do. He said, if you was really children of Abraham, you would know who I am. Because before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> Amen. That's what Jesus told him. But the, the, the thing is, you don't ever see God making the record perfect for everybody's opinion. God could have had Gabriel beam down in town, in, 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 in town square, in the supermarket area of, of their city, and, and, and personally talked to, to, to Mary and, and spoke out loud. And God could have done it that way. You know that, right? God don't even, don't even let her husband witness the visitation from Gabriel. And, of course, obviously, Joseph believed every word she told him, right? No. Sometimes the people that love you the most don't believe you. So she goes and tells Joseph, her, her espoused husband, to be. I just had a visitation from an angel. I'm pregnant now with God. I want you to know I hadn't stepped out on you or nothing. I know this might sound weird, but that's what happened. It was all God. She's like, man, I heard some stories, and I have heard some excuses. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. If I, if I divorce you publicly, you know what's going to happen, right? They're going to drag you out to the city limits and stone you to death. That's the law. And I love you too much to see you stoned to death over this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to divorce you and break our engagement privately so that you will not be executed, but I'm done with it. And I just see Joseph going to another room, packing up his duffel bag. You know what I'm saying? And then God's like, you're going to have to send. Come in here, Gabe. you got to go down there and talk to Joseph, man. He's fixing to screw this whole thing up. So Gabriel goes down there, and he appears privately to Joseph. He says, fear not to take her for your wife, for that that is in her is conceived of God. There is never a word of Joseph, Mary's husband, recorded in the Bible. We never have any statement that he ever made. Isn't that interesting? I can't wait to get to heaven to check out the DVD, though, when he goes and apologizes to Mary. Because the brother had to go say something. And I believe he had to say, uh, <clears throat> Darling, from now on, I'm going to believe anything you tell me. If you tell me it was God, I'm on board. I just had a talk with Gabe, and I'm clear on it now. Let's move on with what God's wanting to do here. I won't never doubt you again, baby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But we don't have any recorded word of that. We're always wanting things sometimes that we don't need. 
I love the little passage where it said that after the angelic visitation to Mary and, and, and that great declaration, I told somebody the other day they were talking about they wanted God to do this, God to do it. I, I said when God became a man, God didn't even come himself to handle that, so to speak. I mean, in other words, he sent Gabriel with the word. Isn't it amazing that God would use men and women to speak his word? It's an amazing thing. I wouldn't have done it that way. I'd, see, I'd send in flaming angels 10 feet tall with flaming swords. <laughs> God, don't do it that way. Because this is a kingdom of faith, not of fear. And, and, and it says this, and it says, Gabriel talked to Mary and all that, and it says, and the angel departed her. He departed from her. How do you go back to living normal after you've had a visit like that from God? How do you do dishes after that? How do you vacuum the floor? How do you just live your life? You got you got to learn to live your life. And if you need an angelic visitation from God to make it, I promise you this, he'll send you one. God will always be doing what I call sometimes like that with the air conditioner to me was a faith token. You know, I have that faith memory coin in my pocket now. So anytime that I get down or something like that, or I'm facing another lion that looks scary, I can jingle in my pocket and say, no, my God has come through before. I've faced bigger stuff than this. I've seen God do bigger than this. I've chased down bigger lions than this. I've been in pits deeper than this one, and God's brought me out. I don't know if it's financial. I don't know if it's physical. I don't know if it's relationship. I don't know, and it's probably all of those for somebody. But whatever it is, don't be afraid. I know the line is physically bigger than you. I know it's stronger than you. I know the problem is stronger than you. I know it's bigger than you. It can leap further than you can leap and outrun you. But it can't do none of that to God. The Bible talks about Samson grabbed a lion. He just pulled his jaws apart. Didn't come to attack him. Remember that? Throwed him on the side of the road. Left him there. Goes out and battles a bunch of men. Takes a jawbone. Whips a whole lot of folks. After that, he's about to faint from thirst and he's about to die, it says. And he's actually begging to die. And he comes back along the road and there he sees the carcass of the lion that weeks before he had killed. This may sound gross to you, but now in that carcass, the bees have built a hive, honeybees. And there is honey, which is one of the strongest energy foods you can eat, right there in the carcass of the lion. And he reaches his hand into the honey, and he sustains himself, and God strengthens him, and he walks on. What's the story in that? Because you need to go back to some of the victories that you've had in the past because there's honey in there. There's strength for you in there. There's encouragement for you. You, you might have killed that lion months ago or years ago, and, and you don't even talk about it no more. You don't even remember. You need to go back to those old victories because there's honey in the lion. There's something in there for you that will strengthen you in what you're facing right now. And you can see that God brought us through that. This may look different. It may be, it may, it, but, but, it, but God's not different. And so God's going to bring me through it. Would you say amen to God's word today? I want you to stand with me.
Now, I want all of my elders to come up here. And I just felt like doing this today. And if, and if you don't want to come and you want to go fly out and eat chicken, then you, you, we love you anyway. I want to pray for some people today. Not specifically, so don't force the prophetic on me. But, I, but we will if God wants us to pray for somebody. But even in the singing today and the worship, particularly that second song, I, 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 we, we love you. This is not all my elders, but this is enough. I, we want to pray for you. We want, we want to lay hands on you and pray for you today. Some of you are facing some big, big time things. That's right. Just come on. And you just come up here and just come across front and, and COVID, no COVID, all that mess. Man, we just want to lay hands on you. We want to love you. If you want to tell us what we're praying with you about, we want to hear it. If it's just something that you don't want to even talk about, just say, I just need prayer. Hey, man, that's cool too. But we want to pray with you. Does that be all right? And, and I'd love you to do this. You know, we're not like uh, super-duper nobodies, but we serve a super-duper God. And I, and I wish every believer that's not coming, your heart would go out to whatever they may be facing today, whatever line that they may be staring down right now, and that you would stretch your hand this way, and you would just pick out the back of the head of one of these people. And you just start praying with them. Would you do that for me right now? Elders, would you just pray? Guys, y'all come on. We, we, we'll all pray simultaneously. We, we, we won't go at it one at a time here. Just everybody just grab somebody and start praying. And, and just pray. Pray for them. Amen. And just, just, begin, just stretch your hand towards them and, and, and just begin to pray that, 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 uh, that whatever that they're facing today, Father, whatever the lion may be, God, no matter how scary it may sound, how loud the roar is, but God, that you will, you, you, you will give victory. You, you will give victory in this moment, Father. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for these people. God, you know the hairs of their head are numbered by you. You, you know everything about each one of them as they stand before you, Father. And Father, we pray for them right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we declare healing come for them. We, whatever that they're standing here believing you for today, Father, I pray for everybody in this congregation that's facing lions, that's facing things, God, that, that, that looks much stronger and larger than they are. Father, I pray for them today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The devil's tried to intimidate so many people. You've been so afraid of the roar of the enemy. Father, we praise you. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just a moment more, church. Just keep praying for the people. Pray for whatever's God. Just pray for people. There's somebody that's coming to your heart that you can, mind you can pray for. We love you, Father. Oh, we bless you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. 
Now, let me just say this to you while they're continuing to pray here. You know, the Bible says that the devil, he calls, the Bible in the New Testament says, your adversary, the devil, walketh about as what? As a, as a roaring, roaring lion. But see, listen to me. That's a lie. He, he's not a roaring lion, but he walks about as a roaring lion. But let me tell you who the roaring lion really is in the Bible. Is Jesus. It, it says it in Psalms, and it says that the Lord shall roar out of Zion. He, he is the lion of the tribe of what? Judah. Jesus is. So Jesus is the real roaring lion. Jesus is the real lion. And, and, and that's, that's a roar that when, when that lion roars with Jesus, he's roaring on behalf of you. you. The enemy tries to use that to intimidate him and make you fearful and make you doubt and, and, and make you to, to withdraw and to draw back from divine opportunities or whatever it is that, that God's calling you to do. But you, 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 you don't allow that. You don't allow the enemy to, 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 to impersonate the real lion of Judah, which is Jesus himself. Can you say amen to that? Father, we love you today. Let's just hang out here in just this presence, just a moment. We love you, Father. We're loved by you. How many people, I know there's more than any came up here, but you can just say, I'm, I'm kind of, there's a kind of a lion deal in my, in my deal right now. And just hold your hand up. I want to pray for you. Just hold it all over the congregation. God bless you. It doesn't matter how big, or, God's got this. He's the only one that can have it. Father, you see every hand. And you know what that hand that's raised represents to them and, and to you. And so I pray, Father, that they just not be intimidated at all by fear. For you've not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and joy and of a sound mind. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that we would go forward in that that you've called us to do, individually and corporately as a church. And, Father, we thank you for the lion chasers. <laughs> we thank you that those that will go after the roar instead of run from it. We thank you for building our resumes for future opportunities that we don't even see is coming, but will come. We thank you for divine connections like Naomi's and Ruth's and Boaz and Ruth, kingdom connections. Right place, right time, no matter how scary it may look. Father, we thank you for that. And we give you praise for it. Can you say amen? Come on, give God praise today. We love you. Thank you for being here today. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.